Welcome to Rumble Ward, the podcast that explores the secrets of sleep and psychology. I'm your host, Ryan, and in each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of sleep and other topics such as mental well-being and personal growth. If you want to unlock your full potential and receive the rewards that come with understanding the power of sleep, you're in the right place. To discover more tips and insights on improving your sleep and overall well-being, visit our website and explore our other episodes at RumbleWard.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to Rem Award. Today we are joined with Dr. Bronwyn Milkins, who's a psychologist based in Perth, Australia. Dr. Milkins received her PhD in psychology from the University of Western Australia and specializes in anxiety and insomnia. She has worked in a variety of settings, including at a private hospital treating patients with severe mental health conditions, including post-traumatic stress disorder and eating disorders. She has also worked with the government to help people to help people experiencing domestic violence, alcohol, and drug abuse, and has also worked as a psychologist and health promotion officer in the university settings. Dr. Milkins hopes that every single person in Australia can receive effective support for mental health problems, no matter what their social or acronym circumstances are. She was named Young Social Pioneer in 2016 by the Foundation for Young Australians for her work in the social entrepreneurship space and was a 2014 winner of the UWA three-minute thesis competition. As part of her research in sleep and anxiety, Dr. Milkins presented a TED Talk at the University of Western Australia discussing her research in this area. She examined how subconscious thoughts led to anxiety and insomnia and presented an effective, simple solution for people who suffer from insomnia. Today, she'll be talking to us about some of her insightful work. Thank you for being here, Dr. Bronwyn Wilkins. And for my Thanks first for question, having me. And for my first question, um, so you're a psychologist, but you also consider yourself a sleep enthusiast. Can you explain why you use that term and how that came to about? Yeah, so being a sleep enthusiast just means that I'm really excited about the benefits of sleep and about promoting those benefits of sleep to the general population, so to everyone. And I'm a sleep enthusiast because I think good sleep underpins almost everything that we do. So if you want to improve your performance, getting good sleep is a key aspect of doing that. If you want to be able to pay attention well or have good emotion regulation, sleep underpins that as well. So I'm a big promoter of the benefits of sleep and making sure that everybody has quality and also enough enough sleep so they get a good duration of sleep that allows them to be at their best. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and in your research, you use a technique called attention bias modification to help people with insomnia or sleepiness. Can you explain what that is and how it works? Absolutely. So in my PhD research, I looked at this technique and it's called attention bias modification. And I will break it down because it's a big phrase and it, and it requires that level of breaking down. So when we think of attention, you can put your attention towards anything. So if you look around the room that you are in, there will be certain things in the room that will be grabbing your attention. And it might be things that you're looking forward to or uh, you think are really cool, things that you really enjoy. So if you have a gaming system in your room and you enjoy gaming, your attention is going to be naturally drawn to the gaming system. And this is what an attention bias is. So we're biased to pay attention to particular things in our environment that are either personally relevant to us or just grabbing our attention. So if you think about going and you're driving down a road, there might be advertisements on the side of the road and they're grabbing your attention. So you have a bias to putting your attention towards it. What we find with folks who have insomnia is that they have an attention bias towards things that tell them that they are not sleeping. 
So it might be that they're biased to pay attention to their racing heart rate and they'll be like, oh, my heart is going so fast, I just cannot get to sleep. Or they'll pay attention to their racing thoughts and be like, my mind is just so active, I cannot get to sleep. They'll also have a bias towards things in their environment. So they'll notice more likely the tap dripping or people mm -hmm. in the house moving. And this is a bias towards that. And they'll be like, gosh, why are those so loud? Whereas with a person who doesn't have sleep problems, their attention is probably just drawn to, I guess, just random thoughts about what they're going to do tomorrow, but it doesn't bother them too much. Right. They're just like, I'm just going to go to sleep. Um, it's not a big deal. Whereas a person who has insomnia, they're geared towards detecting these things in their environment that indicate that they're not going to get to sleep and that they've got a sleep problem. Mm -hmm. So with right. attention bias modification, what we want to do is for people with insomnia is we want to draw their attention away from all these things that are telling them that they're not going to get enough sleep and towards more neutral things. So they're going to be focusing instead just, okay, I feel all right. Things will get done tomorrow. I've achieved all I can today rather than stressing about all the ways that they're stuffed up today and how they're not going to get through things tomorrow because their sleep's going to be so poor. So how it worked in my PhD research is that we'd have people do this really boring task. And a lot of participants would tell me that they were sleepy just from doing the boring task. But above and beyond that, how it works is that we present people with two words on a screen. One of those words is a sleep-related word. So it might be nightmare. And then the other word is a neutral word. So it might be chair. And what I did was I presented people with a bunch of words like outside of the task and I got them to rate how related to sleep they were and how neutral they were. So all the neutral words were guaranteed neutral and all the sleep related words were guaranteed related to sleep. And what I do then is they've got two words on a screen and then I put a dot, a literal dot after the neutral word and I get them to press a key indicating that the dot appeared behind the neutral word. So what happens for a person with insomnia is that you present two words on the screen, one sleep related, one neutral, their attention is automatically going to go towards the sleep related words. And I'm trying to shift their attention away from the sleep related word and toward more neutral words. Okay. So you'd think, okay, yeah, one instance of that, that's not going to do much, but we do it like 400 times. Wow. So yeah, so it's it's quite boring, <laughs> but it's quite fast as well. So we mm. want people to literally like when they notice that their attention is being drawn to the sleep related stimuli to then reshift their attention away from that and go towards the neutral stimuli. And what we we're hoping for in my research was that this would transfer to sleep. So then they'd automatically be drawn towards their racing thoughts. And instead of paying attention to that, they're going to pay attention to like the chair in their room or something, right. yeah. or just like, this is just me in bed. So it's more neutral. Um, what we found in my research was that there was definitely a difference between people with insomnia and people who didn't have insomnia in terms of how quick they were to pay attention to the sleep related words. So folks with insomnia, their attention went straight towards like nightmare, restlessness, like can't sleep, all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas the folks without insomnia didn't. So that shows that there's a difference in what people pay attention to. But in my research, 
it was quite difficult to get people to shift their attention away from those negative sleep words. So overall, I concluded that it needs a more powerful treatment to get people with insomnia to be more attentive to neutral things and get their mind away from the negative sleep related thoughts. So what I recommend for people now until attention bias modification actually becomes a fully fledged treatment is to go towards the mindfulness based approaches for insomnia, um, which are very similar. So mindfulness based approaches will get people to slow down their breathing, pay attention to their breathing, be non judgmental about what they're paying attention to. And then that's shown really good benefits. Right, cool. Yeah. And do you think like techniques such as these, like the mindfulness and like, you know, making sure you're taking deep breaths, like can be applied to a younger population? And like, if so, like how young do you think? Yeah, I absolutely think these techniques can be applied to a younger population. I'm not really sure about how young. So you're probably and your listeners are probably aware that sleep changes as Mm -hmm. we age. So younger people tend to need more sleep. Um, Younger people might find it difficult to get to sleep as well, um, more than older folks, just in general. Right. Um, But the mindfulness techniques of being non-judgmental towards your thoughts and your feelings and your body sensations can be applied for everyone at any age. So all you would need to do is notice the body sensation that you're experiencing, which might be an increased heart rate. And you'll be like, Hey, I'm experiencing increased heart rate. Mm. And then you'd be non-judgmental. So you wouldn't be like, Oh my gosh, that means that I'm going to be getting a bad sleep tonight. Why can't I just control my heart rate? And then you might try and slow down your breathing and just take some deep breaths. Um, and The game that I like to play that I recommend for clients is I get them to count to 10 with their breaths. And if their attention wanes while they're counting to 10 with their breaths, I get them to start again. So I'll get them to do like one, inhale, exhale, two, inhale, exhale. And if their mind wanders, which it it tends to do, I get them to start again. But that can be frustrating. So if that happens too much, then I just get them to do one to 10 breaths. And people usually find that that helps lower their heart rate. And then that also facilitates sleep. So the more relaxed that you can be for sleep, the more likely it is that your body's going to be able to get that rest and fall into the sleep state that we need to get that deep sleep. Yeah. And I just had a question like coming off that. Do you think like issues among people are more like maybe their environment genetics, or do you think it's more like in the mindset and that's a real main issue towards it? Well, there's, Okay, so I think it's a combination would be the short answer. But there is research which shows that there's a genetic component to how much sleep we need and how our abilities to be able to get quality sleep. So if your parents are insomniacs, then Mm. that might be a genetic trait that's passed down. But I guess as saying that we have not only in the sleep world, but it's kind of like... uh, I don't know how else I'd put this, but it's like um, genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. So you can have this genetic vulnerability to sleeplessness, 
but you might need an environment to kind of set it off. Mm -hmm. Um, So it might be that you have a noisy household and you don't have the opportunity for sleep. And then that sets into motion this cycle of sleeplessness that you have a genetic vulnerability to. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Um, And also another question, like, do you see like sleep problems are more prevalent nowadays? And if so, like, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think there is research which says yes. And then there's research that says no, we've got the same amount of sleep problems. So it's really difficult to tell if overall there are more sleep problems, I think you would need to pare it down to particular populations. So Mm -hmm. for example, I think there might be more shift work in general and shift work is associated with greater likelihood of sleep problems because it interferes with most people's natural circadian rhythm, which Mm -hmm. is to be asleep when it's dark and to be awake when it's light. So there are some people who say that sleep problems are more prevalent And the kind of factors that they attribute it to, and I'm going to speak to younger populations because that's the focus of your podcast, but some of the factors they attribute it to are like social media use, which is interfering and just phone use in general or technology use, which might be interfering with people's onset of melatonin. So that's a hormone that secretes when we've got the right light. And it's thought that looking at screens might be suppressing melatonin release, which is increasing the time taken to fall asleep by young people. So that's one thing that people attribute greater sleep problems to in the younger population. It might also be increased stress throughout the day. So young people are exposed to lots of pressures, particularly academically. And it might be that that is even more so now than ever. There's increased competition to get into different colleges and different job pathways. And that might be affecting young people's ability to fall asleep and get good quality sleep. So those are just two of the factors that people attribute sleep problems to. Clinically, so I work as a psychologist in clinical practice as well, I do think we are seeing more people with sleep problems, but it might just be that people are aware of Mm -hmm. that sleep is really important and that they're coming to psychologists more often. So there might not be an increase in population, but more people seeking help, which I think is fantastic that people are like, okay, I really need to address this rather than letting sleep problems go on. So one good example I can think of is that in the past, people used to be like, oh, I'm a snorer and they would do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And it would just kind of be a funny quirk that people had. But nowadays people are like, oh, that could be a symptom of sleep apnea. Maybe I should get, get that checked out. Yeah. Um, which I think is much, much better. Right. I mean, yeah, it's great to hear that. Like people are taking sleep more seriously and they know how important it is. Yeah. Um, and then for my next question, I know like a lot of people are like always thinking they want more sleep. So do you think some people just are not able to sleep that much? And is that okay? Like maybe they don't need as much sleep as they think they need. And that's the real problem. Like they just constantly think, oh, I need more sleep, but I'm not getting it. And have you ever had people experience that? And what do you tell them? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the it's it's literally in our questionnaires that we give people when we assess them for sleep problems when i look at the psychological angle so one of the items in questionnaires we have is i must get eight hours of sleep otherwise i'm gonna be a mess tomorrow and people who endorse that they tend to have more sleep problems so Mm -hmm. you don't have to get eight ten hours sleep 
if your body is telling you that you are rested and refreshed after like five, six hours sleep, that's great. So I kind of think of sleep like eating. Some people, they need to eat a bit more food. Some people, they're very comfortable having small meals and they don't, they don't need that much food. And if they try and force themselves to eat more food, their body's just like, I don't like this. It's the same with sleep. If you force your body to get more sleep than it needs, you might feel a bit groggy and it just, your body just doesn't need it. So it's yeah. much better just to listen to what your body needs, but you shouldn't be forcing your body to undersleep either. So I know that there's some, maybe uh, you're listening. telling them but i can tell you with the distribution of sleep and what people need that would be like 0.0001% of people so you might be in that 0.0001% of people but more likely you're going to need at least 5 hours of sleep yeah um yeah but overall listen to your body if you're not feeling rested and refreshed you might need more sleep but if you are feeling rested and refreshed don't force your body to do any more than it needs Okay. Wow. That, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Um, and also you treat other conditions besides sleep disorders, such as anxiety and depression. Can techniques such as like attention bias modification help with these problems? And if so, how? Absolutely. Um, so what we find with folks with anxiety is that their attention is drawn towards threat. So that means kind of negative things in their environment. So if you've ever met somebody with high levels of anxiety, they might be worrying a lot. And if you think of a situation, their attention might be quick to point out all the ways that it's going to go wrong and how they're not going to be able to cope with that. So with attention bias modification, what we want to do is we want to draw their attention away from those negative aspects of the situation towards more neutral interpretations of how it's going to go. So if I think of public speaking, for example, the person with anxiety might be thinking everyone in the audience is going to look so bored and I'm going to stuff up my words and I'm not going to be able to speak well. Instead, what we want them to think is, okay, I'm going to give this speech. Some people might be interested. Some people might not. That's all right. I'm going to speak as well as I can. I might fumble over a few of my words, but I might not. And overall, I'm sure it will be okay. And so we want them to be less hypervigilant for that threat. And we want them to be more neutral in their attention interpretations. So there's heaps of research on attention bias modification for people with anxiety in particular. That was one of the main focuses of my research lab that we looked at. And it has been shown to be quite effective. And again, that translates into uh, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques such as attention training. So that's a component of that psychological therapy. It also translates into mindfulness-based activities, which is a component of acceptance and commitment therapy and mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. So there's a lot of existing psychological treatments and therapies that incorporate attention training, which is found to be quite effective for people with anxiety. People with depression, look, it quite often overlaps with anxiety, but we find that people with depression, their attention is similarly drawn to negative interpretations of situations. Mm -hmm. So if they're walking down a street and they wave at a friend and the friend doesn't wave back, the person with depression will be like, they're mad at me, they don't like me. Whereas a person without depression might be thinking, they didn't see me. Right. And so okay. that's a more neutral interpretation. 
So we want to be able to shift their attention away from those thoughts and to be able to go towards more neutral interpretation. A lot of cognitive behavioral therapy for folks with depression focuses on helping them do that. And it's quite effective as well. So we don't want to like gaslight them and be like, that's not happening. Sometimes their friend might be angry at them yeah. and they, they don't want to wave back at them. But jumping to that conclusion without further evidence usually makes people feel really crap. Right. So we just want to be able to get them to like examine the evidence neutrally, maybe check it out with your friend, be like, hey, I waved at you. And how are you? Um, and then gather further evidence that way rather than jumping automatically to the negative conclusion. So looking at how we pay attention to things is really important and it's really a core component of a lot of mental health problems. Right. So it's really that like switch in the mindset. That's really the big difference. Totally. Okay. And then also like what other tips can you share about to help teens with sleepiness, sleeplessness or anxiety just in general, if you had something in mind? Yeah, let me just have a think about that. Mm. I guess in terms of sleep, just recognize that sleep is really important for helping your brain function well and your body function well. So one of the things that sleep does overnight is that if you are an athlete or you enjoy sport, it helps repair your muscles so that you can be stronger. So Folks who are athletes or enjoy sport, they need generally more sleep. So mm -hmm. it's really important in that way. Likewise, if you're trying to get good grades and you're studying, sleep helps with memory and retention. So again, really important to prioritize your sleep. That said, don't get too anxious if you have a bad night of sleep or like two or three nights of sleep. The great thing about sleep is that it can bounce back to an extent. So you can't like get a poor night sleep for five or like seven days and expect, and expect to bounce back straight away. But mm. if you get like one or two nights poor sleep, don't worry about it. Just your body will bounce back and you'll probably compensate in the next few nights. So this is actually a phenomenon called REM rebound and you get more deeper stages of sleep uh, after getting a poor night's sleep in general. So actually that's probably my top tip for younger folks is recognize that sleep is important, but don't get too stressed if your sleep varies. That's very normal. You're not going to get a perfect night's sleep every night, but that's okay. Just allow yourself to bounce back. It's again, like eating. It's like some days you might get right, yeah. the exact amount of food that, that your body needs. And then some days you might not get enough food and the next day you'll be a bit hungrier. So your body knows what to do. What I found with my research is that the more people try to interfere with their natural sleep patterns, the more stressed and anxious they get about it. And then that means that their body's not in a state to relax for sleep. So don't worry about it too much is like what I'd say for folks with both sleep problems and anxiety. But that said, of course, if you find that your best attempts to rein in your sleep and you've got sleep problems that you feel like are out of the norm, do raise it and make sure that it's important to address and go seek support with it. So you can go speak to a general practitioner, so a doctor or any health professional that you think would be
you'd be able to find a clinician, find someone who is trained in it, which would be my recommendation as well. And in the mindfulness-based techniques as well for insomnia, because what research shows is that psychological therapy is actually really great at treating insomnia. Right. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And then for my last question is just in general, what's one takeaway you want everyone listening to take away from this podcast? Mm. I, I think the takeaway would be that variation in sleep is normal. As I said before, you're not going to get perfect sleep every night, but nor is that desired or to be expected. And if you are experiencing sleep problems, there is a whole range of sleep problems ranging from restless legs, where you feel like your legs have to move all the time and you just can't get them to sit still, to sleep apnea, where you stop breathing at particular intervals in the night, to psychological insomnia, which is where your brain interferes with you sleeping. So there are a range of sleep problems, but do know that there are really good treatments for sleep. So do go speak to a health professional. Don't ignore it and hope that it will go away. Sometimes they do, but sometimes you just need a little bit of help to get you back on track. And I would absolutely recommend that people reach out for ha that help if they're experiencing those sleep problems. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's all I had for today. I really appreciate you coming on and taking your time to talk about sleep and uh, mindfulness. And then um, I'm sure everyone is really appreciative that you're here also, just as I am. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Remember Word podcast. Before you go, we'd appreciate your support by subscribing, liking, and leaving your thoughts in the comments. Stay tuned for our next podcast, where we will be joined by a special guest speaker to explore even more about the fascinating world of sleep and psychology.